Howdy. You're listening to the Texas A&M RUF podcast. Hope you enjoyed the talk. Howdy. Howdy! All right, today uh, we're going to be reading from Genesis, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, Ephesians 5. Uh, Genesis 1, 26, 26 through 27. Then God said, let's make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. In Genesis 2, 24-25. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed. 1 Corinthians 7, 3-4. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Ephesians 5, 31-32 Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. 1 John 4, 18 There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. All right, uh, pray for us real quick. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you uh, just for another day that you've blessed us with, and I thank you for RUF and uh, just the great uh, ministry that it is, and I thank you that we're able to just come here freely uh, and worship you and uh, uh, just sing uh, praises to you and listen to a a sermon uh, in your name. And uh, Father, I just pray that you could uh, just speak through Austin, and uh, that we would hear uh, your words, and uh, just not his own. Uh, and Father, I just pray uh, for uh, just all the students in here as we're uh, you know hitting the halfway point in the semester, and uh, just tired of class and waking up early, uh, and just all those things. I just pray that you could uh, just give us strength to uh, just bear on and uh, do all of our work uh, for your glory, and uh, just do it to the best of our ability, and just finish strong. And you're in my prayer. Amen. Amen. Um, awesome. Thank you, Henry. Uh, howdy! Howdy! Welcome to RUF. Look, tonight's an awesome night. We, we have a lot of guests with us tonight. Glenn from Alpine's here, which is awesome. Go talk to him after this. I also want to uh, give a shout-out to Westminster Presbyterian Youth Group is here tonight, so shout out to that. Wade Coleman, Senior Pastor, is here. Andrew Triola, also known as Tree, is here as well from Westminster Presbyterian Church. And I also am going to ask Michael Gordon to stand up and Colin Peters to please stand up. Uh, Michael is the Assistant Coordinator of RUF, and Colin is Area Coordinator of Texas. These are two guys that love RUF, okay, and they also... Uh, have done the RUF internship, okay? So if you are interested in doing the RUF internship, please go talk to them afterward. Talk about RUF with them. They're awesome. Thank y'all for being here tonight. So glad you are here. Um, all right, look, before I start tonight, let me give a, a shout-out and a thanks real quick to Matt Powell, Les Newsom, Brian Sorgen Fry, Way, Way Rutherford, and probably a few others that have contributed to the material that I'm going through tonight, okay? So not all of this is original to me. Uh, so I want to leave that, okay, uh, look, let me say this, if this is your first time walking through the, the doors of All Faith Chapel in the RUF, really welcome, like we're glad you're here. We really do believe this, that, that you're never so good that you stand outside the need of God's grace, 
while at the same time you are never so bad that you stand outside the reach of His grace. And we really believe that. And we hope that you experience that when you come to RUF. And so, if you've been with us, right, normally our practice in large group is we take a book of the Bible and we march through it. But this, every four years, right, in the fall, okay, we take a look at what the Bible has to say about relationships. Okay, how, how we relate to one another, how we relate to this world, and how we relate to God himself. And our question for this semester has been this. What does God and his gospel have to do with all of these really complicated relationships in my life? And what scripture has held out for us this semester is everything. And congratulations, okay? Y'all made it. Okay, we made it to dating. All right, so... Actually, we're not going to talk about dating tonight. We're going to do something a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to talk about dating, okay? Um, all right. There's a well-known story uh, from a campus minister in RUF, okay? This account is 100% true, okay? So I, I did my research. I had it confirmed by two people, all right? There is a, a girl at a university in the South that had been dating a guy that she had met at school, okay? Uh, and they've been dating for about six months. Things were progressing very well. Uh, and he was actually uh, for some, from somewhere in New England, and she went home with him one weekend to meet his family. And his family was very upper class, okay, they were from old money, uh, very refined and proper. And uh, they lived in this very beautiful, stately home, okay? And they're having dinner their first night and of their visit, and it's a beautifully fancy dinner. And the girl realizes, like, she needs to use, she needs to use the restroom. And so trying to fit in with the family, uh, she asks the mom, she says, hey, uh, where's the powder room? And the mom points her in the right direction. And so she gets up and she heads off. The family also had a little lap dog, okay, that they treated like one of their children in the family. And the dog followed her to the room. And so she walks into the room, the dog goes in there with her, and she shuts the door. And once she's inside, she realizes, like, this is an actual powder room. And it's a small room with a pedestal and a mirror, but no toilet, okay? And she's like, okay, uh, I'm too embarrassed to go back out and tell them that I don't know what a powder room is. And she didn't want to go back out and say, like, hey, where's the bathroom? So she decides to make do with what she's got. And she, she climbs up onto the sink, and she proceeds to use the restroom. And she's holding onto the mirror, but the mirror starts coming off of the wall. And she lets go, and she falls back, and she gets knocked out cold. And she wakes up, and she notices the whole family is in there. Her pants are all the way down. She's bleeding from her head. There's urine everywhere. And the entire family is there, and the mom is screaming, crying. Why? Because the pedestal sink that she was standing on toppled over and crushed the dog to death. Like, the, the, the boyfriend leans down, helps her up, and says, let's get your bags and go to the airport. And that was the end of their dating relationship. Uh, so, true story, okay? Um, what, like, why do, I tell you, why do I tell you that story tonight, okay? Well, hopefully it makes you feel a little bit better about your dating status tonight, okay? And... Uh, Mainly because it's just an amazing story. I didn't know where else to put it, okay? But it also does this, right? Is that it catches from one degree to another so much about we know about what we know about dating, okay? Not to that degree, right? But, but like, dating can be filled with all of this excitement and potential, but also filled with 
enormous insecurity, and often an enormous mess at the same time. Right, so let me leave with this, okay, a few prefaces tonight, okay? First is this, I am not going to answer every dating question tonight, okay? Uh, that's impossible. I am going to cover as much as I can. That's why we're doing a two-part series, okay? We're doing a part one tonight, and we're going to do a part two next week, okay? Um, so I do hope that it produces fruitful conversation with you all outside of this context, okay? Um, and so next week, we're going to be talking more practically about application, okay? I promise. Second is this, okay? And this is important, all right? I, I am not speaking as someone who has dated perfectly, okay? Right? I, I made enormous mistakes in my dating relationships, all right, uh, that I really do wish I could take back. Uh, so, so I am speaking to you tonight as someone who is forgiven by God, who's made mistakes, okay? Um, yeah, so y'all just need to hear that. And lastly is this. The Bible says nothing about 21st century dating, Okay? Let me be clear about that. There is no passage that says, thus saith the Lord, this is how you date. Okay? However, God does give us his word with very important and helpful wisdom on how to navigate culture and how to apply that to our dating relationships. Okay? So let, let me give you a wide lens here. Okay? Because there have been plenty of forms of finding spouses throughout history. Right? right? Arranged marriages probably dominating world history. Okay, actually, the word dating didn't appear until 1914, okay? Because in some phases of history, right, you know this, you, you actually married someone in your own family, right? In some phases of history and culture, you have no choice, and you marry someone based off of a business deal uh, or uh, financial health, right? In other phases of history, you married someone for a better situation for your family, and sometimes based off of mere survival, Okay? So that's not to downplay our experience of dating in the 21st century, but with that in view, okay, it can serve us well in remembering that even in challenging situations like dating, it still required application of biblical wisdom, okay? Because look, if I've heard it once, right, I've heard it a thousand times, Austin, I just can't stand dating. It's so confusing and it's so frustrating. And look, you're singing in the choir. I get it. <laughs> it is. It's really hard, all right? But in order to help us construct a healthy dating life, we have to begin by diagnosing it in order to treat that confusion and that frustration, okay? So the next two weeks, we're going to be answering these two questions, okay? Tonight, why is dating so difficult? In other words, the dysfunction of dating. And next week, we're going to talk about how can we apply some healthy biblical principles to dating, okay? In other words, the freedom of dating. So this week is the dysfunction of dating, why it's hard. Next week's the freedom of dating. How can we apply healthy principles to our dating life? Okay? So tonight, uh, why is dating so difficult? Because so if you're a note taker, here you go. Two points tonight, okay? Dating is difficult because it lacks definition. Secondly, dating is difficult because it crumbles under pressure it was never meant to bear. Let me say that again. Dating is difficult because it lacks definition. Secondly, dating is difficult because it crumbles under pressure it was never meant to bear. All right? So first, dating is difficult because it lacks definition. Right? If we begin, I want to look at dating by considering first the nature of God himself. Okay? Because there's a major connection here between dating and our design. Right? If you remember back to our very first sermon in our series, that God designed us for relationship with others. Okay? Because in Genesis 1.26, at the creation of Adam and Eve, God says, 
Let us make man in our image. Right? And what we learn is that God reveals himself in Scripture as one God that is also in us. Okay? He's one God, yet three distinct persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Remember, there's nothing more practical than the Trinity. Because you are created in the image of a Trinitarian relational God. You are designed for relationships. And a major part of that design, here it is, okay? is that you were created for relationships with definition. Why? Because the persons of the Godhead have definite roles. Think about the roles of each person in the Trinity and what they play in our salvation, for example. Okay? Scripture tells us that God the Father is the one who ordains uh, people for salvation, that he's the author of salvation, right? And the Son, Jesus, accomplishes that salvation for God's people. And then the Holy Spirit then applies that salvation. So the Father authorizes salvation, the Son accomplishes salvation, and the Spirit applies that salvation to the believer. So there are specific roles in the way that we relate to, that they relate to one another in redemption. And don't forget our very important principle, principle this semester, right? Is that our vertical relationship with God, it will always transform our horizontal relationships with one another. Therefore, because our triune God, because the Trinity, has clear defining roles to each other and to the world, all of our relationships tonight beg for definition. Every relationship tonight asks, what are we? And a relationship, hear this, okay? A relationship being healthy or unhealthy usually depends on the degree to which your behaviors, your attitudes, and your expectations fit into the definition of that relationship. Right, for example, like some of you have jobs right now, okay? Uh, and your relationship with your boss is defined as employer and employee, right? And so you relate to each other according to that definition, right? The employer gives you direction, makes sure that you get paid, you listen to the employer's instruction, you follow them, and then you receive payment. Good, healthy relationship, right? But if your employer like starts following you and your friends on Instagram and then shows up at your 21st birthday party uninvited because your employer thinks that you're friends, like that's weird and kind of unhealthy, right? Like it's betrayed the definition of y'all's relationship a little bit. See, when the definition of a relationship is fuzzy, the what is appropriate becomes fuzzy. Have you ever felt that with your Uber driver, right? Like you, you pull up and you're like, you're not a taxi, but like, do I sit in the front seat or do I sit in the back seat? Sometimes they have like the front seat pulled up, which is great because they kind of solve it for you. But like, you kind of get in, you're like, do, do we talk? You know, I'm kind of paying you to do this, or do, do I just stare at my phone the whole time? Like, I don't know, right? It can be awkward because I'm paying for this ride and I don't have to talk to you. All the extroverts are like, of course you talk to them. All the introverts are like, that's my worst nightmare. Like, I don't talk to them, right? But you get the point, okay? You are designed for relationships that are defined and clear. Therefore, every relationship begs for a definition, and the health of that relationship is to the degree that your behaviors and attitudes honor that definition. And this is the very reason why dating is so messy and difficult. Right, so let, let me illustrate and give a shot, okay, at what this process of dating looks like for you Aggie students, okay? I'm giving a shot here, okay? I call this the five-stage method, all right? All right, stage.
Stage one is this. Stage one is the noticing stage, right? An individual notices someone in particular. Could be at a party. Could be when you're walking across campus, on your way to class. Could be at RUF or summer conference, right? Like for a thousand different reasons, a person begins to have your attention, right? It's, it's just a heart sparkle or just a fun thought or maybe a squish, right? And stage two, right, is the stalking stage. That's what I call it, okay? You might even like check out the person's Instagram page and you're disappointed because it's private, but you don't follow it because that would be creepy, right? And you start noticing like when they show up to RUF or, or to different parties, and you both are like always kind of present around each other. Okay, the difference between romance and stalking is, a, is razor thin, okay? So be careful with that. Um, but stage three, okay, is, is the talking stage, right? You move to kind of like some low-key one-on-one communication. You start flirting a little bit. Like you are, you are liking each other's Instagram posts, okay? Like you're, you're texting some. And, and whenever his text pops up on your phone, you get excited. Or when her text pops up on your phone, like your roommate notices, and you're like, why are you smiling? Like, so when you start like kind of gravitating towards one another now, and, and others begin to notice, even if you haven't told anyone, and it's like definitely a crush now. And you've gone from noticing to stalking to now talking, okay? And this is stage four, right? Stage four is the asking, okay? Finally, like some version of a date happens, right? And it can be a little bit more informal where you're kind of hanging out in a group and you all kind of split off and like hang out all night and that's like your first date, right? Or, or it can be like a formal date where guys, you actually like call her or like talk to her and ask her to dinner or coffee or lunch, okay? Let me just say a quick note, okay? Guys, you have permission to call it a date, okay? D don't make her be a detective, okay? Right? Like whatever form it takes, okay, you're becoming a thing, right? The, the friendship feels different. Okay, it's starting to feel kind of like an us at this point. And people are still like, after, like really starting to ask now, like, hey, are, like, are y'all dating? And you're like, you, I don't really know if we're dating. Like, no, we aren't. But you're like, but you talk for two hours straight at night, and you send each other a ton of emojis and like 20 exclamation points. But no, we're not dating, right? That's stage four, okay? And then we get to stage five, all right? Stage five is what I call the officializing stage, the officialing stage. Because finally... One of you or both of you feel the need for definition, right? And so either out of frustration, someone blurts it out, or, or maybe it's planned, but some sort of talk happens, right? You share your feelings, you put yourself out there, and both of you all agree, okay, yes, we're dating. But we're going to take it slow, which, of course, means you dive into hanging out all the time and making out, right? But, but after that conversation, okay, don't act like that. We'll talk about that, right? But... But after that conversation, right, it's official, okay? Like, you, you tell your friends, she tells her friends, you do a soft or hard launch on each other's Instagram stories. Like, your, your relationship has been officially institutionalized. You're boyfriend and girlfriend now, right? Whatever it's called. And actually, stage six is either you break up or you get married, and then stage seven is one spouse dies and you become a widow. Yeah, that's actually what so, that, that's, that's truly the process, so there you go. Um, it's it's going to happen. If no one's going to tell you that reality, I will, okay? So, um, it's okay. You're with Jesus. You'll see each other in heaven. So, um, so, so that's the process, right? But stage five, okay, the officializing stage, Okay, is, is where actually many of our problems come to a head, right? 
Because when two people become official, yay, you did it, right? But what changed? Really? What changed? What was true about your relationship that wasn't already true before? Because many times the dysfunction of dating actually leads to an assumed definition of dating that is actually unhealthy. And this leads to our second point, okay? That dating is so frustratingly difficult because it crumbles under pressure that it was never meant to bear. Here's what I want you to catch in this point, okay? That a dating relationship will be much healthier if it is closer to friendship rather than a marriage. Let me say that again. A dating relationship will be much healthier if it is closer to a friendship rather than a marriage. We'll talk more about this next week with some practical application, okay? I promise. But why do I say that? Well, with all of the confusion of dating, okay, Scripture does make clear the relationship of marriage. Right? We read it tonight. Henry read that for us. Genesis 2, 24 through 25. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3 through 4. Ephesians 5, verses 31 through 32. Scripture clearly outlines for married couples their roles and how to relate to one another. Namely, in reflecting how Christ loves his bride, the church. So a husband and a wife, they're to merge into a single, legal, social, economic unit held together by a covenantal bond that is to never be broken. Okay? They fully belong to one another in body and soul. They donate themselves to one another in a legal union for life. So the definition and roles for a marriage is clear in how God designed Two to become one flesh. In other words, marriage is permanent in nature. Dating is temporary in nature. And we hate that, right? <laughs> like that's where so many of our problems come out. Because this is what produces all kind of fear and worry and insecurity and anxiety. Because we know that this relationship is delicately temporary. Our cultural prophetess, Taylor Swift, nails it yet again, right? Is it cool that I said all that? Is it chill that you're in my head? Because I know that it's delicate. Is it cool that I said all that? Is it too soon to do this yet? I practice that, by the way. <laughs> my wife is so embarrassed of me right now. I know. Uh, okay, <laughs> because really, like, deep down we know this, right? That ultimately, it's okay, we can laugh at this. Like, we know that dating is ultimately temporary, right? That, that out of fear and insecurity, we're constantly questioning ourselves. Do they like me? Do they love me? Did I say the right or wrong thing? Because we know that at any moment in a dating relationship, someone can wake up and change their mind. Tom, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who plays, who plays Tom in 500 Days of Summer, talking to Summer, he says this. We don't have a label. I just need consistency. How do I know that you won't wake up in the morning and feel different? Right? We're so aware of dating's instability and temporary nature that we do anything we can to make that relationship feel certain. Right? We do anything to make it feel stable, to make it feel permanent. So what do we do? Inevitably, we begin to borrow from a clear, permanent relationship which is marriage. We say to ourselves, I can make this relationship feel permanent if I start borrowing certain obligations, 
expectations, assumptions, commitments that were only designed for a permanent marriage. But, but what's the problem with that? Really, think about that. Right? Imagine if you're going camping, okay, and it starts to rain, and, and you, you build a roof with your friends out of, like, huge branches, and you all pick it up, and you set it on top of the tent. Like, what's going to happen? Right? It's going to get crushed. Right? Because the tent is going to collapse because it was never meant to bear the weight of a wooden roof. If you set a permanent structure on something that is temporary in nature, it will collapse. It will be crushed. And that's exactly what happens when we treat dating as if it's a marriage. And it's crushing us. Okay, so let me do this. Let me give you four practical ways we do this, okay? Four things that are only true for marriage that actually bleed in to a dating relationship. Right now, I see. Just hear me say it like I sympathize with this, okay? I did this too. I messed up in this area, right? So let me, let me do this. Why so many of our dating relationships crumble under the pressure that they were never meant to bear, okay? This may surprise some of you. It's not meant to shame you, okay? But it is to maybe set, shed some light, all right? And so caveat to this too, okay? These examples are not exhaustive. Just as we're called to have integrity and friendship, okay? These are not an excuse for treating someone with the absence of honesty and integrity, okay? We'll talk more about that next week as well. So first is this, all right? This is what we do. First, we think, we are dating now, so I have a right to your own time, right? You're thinking about the weekend, it's a Friday, and you assume, man, we're going to have a date tonight. But then you call her, and you ask her what she's doing tonight, and she says, oh, I'm having a girls' night. I'm actually hanging out with my friends. And you say, like, what? And you're, you're kind of mad, and you might even say, like, I, I thought we were going to do something. In other words, you're mad because you assume you had a right to her time. Or this happens. You give him the silent treatment for a few days, and he finally says, like, hey, like, you know, what did I do? And you say, I mean, sure, you said it was going to be a busy week, but you've hardly been texting or calling me this last week. Like, do you not like me anymore? Is this relationship not important? And the guy's like, what? And... But see, he, here's the assumption, right? You think you own his time, and he's required to give you a certain amount. Right? Hear me say, this doesn't mean that you manipulate and control somebody by never talking or never communicating with them, or never spending time with them in order to control them. That is sinful in abusing the friendship, okay? While at the same time, yes, hear me say, you equally have the freedom to spend time together. Go do that. Enjoy each other in moderation. We'll talk about that next week, too, okay? But it does mean this, right? That neither of you have ownership and control over each other's time. A husband and a wife do. Alex has the right of my time. I love you guys. I love RUF. But Alex comes first, okay? Each, that's true in marriage. That's not true in dating, okay? Each person has freedom in honesty and integrity to spend their time freely. You have no ultimate say over your boyfriend or your girlfriend's schedule. The moment that you say you have to, or that you say you must be free this night, that's crushing the relationship with marital pressure that, was, that it was never meant to bear. You don't own each other's time, okay? That's the first thing. Secondly is this. We think, we're dating now. I have a right to your body. Now, because we're dating, right, it's free game to make out, it's free game to lie down in positions together, sexual contact increases, 
And sure, you may admit like to physical struggles, but what never gets questioned is this. Do I have a right to her body? 1 Corinthians 7, chapter 7, verses 3 to 4 is very clear on this. Your body, both husband and wife, belong to one another in marriage. I know in a vacuum for you, for many of you, that's easy just to punt and get rid of, okay? We'll, talk, we'll unpack that when we talk about marriage and sex in the next coming weeks, okay? But you assume, as I did, that dating brings a different category of relationship than friendship. So now, there are things that are physically and sexually okay. Listen to what Tim Keller says in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, okay? Great book. I would highly advise to read this, okay? This is what he says. The Bible says don't unite with someone physically unless you are also willing to unite with that person emotionally, personally, socially, economically, and legally. Don't become physically naked and vulnerable to the other person without becoming vulnerable in every other way. Then, once you've given yourself in marriage, sex is a way of maintaining and deepening that union as the years go by. What Keller is saying is that, is that you assume, when you assume you have a right to someone's body, that, that I'm, giving to, I'm giving myself to you physically, but I'm withholding everything else. I'm withholding finances. I'm withholding my legal status. I'm withholding a permanent covenant with, from you. I know that God is gracious and He's forgiving, okay? I'm standing in someone who's sexually broken. We're going to talk about that, okay? The truth is, though, you have no more rights to the other person's body after you start dating than you did before. She is not yours. He is not yours. I did not say that wasn't difficult, okay? The reason dating is so difficult because, yes, sex is so beautiful and wonderful, and it's a part of your design as a human, but it's for a proper place. Sexual contact, it does make the relationship feel more committed, more exclusive, more stable. But it's not in a dating relationship. It's masking the truth. 500 days of summer again, okay? After Tom and Summer... They've spent so much time together. They've been making out. They've had sex. Finally, they have a conversation with one another, and it kind of comes to this boiling point. And Summer kind of looks at Tom and says, but we're only friends. And Tom says, no. Friends don't kiss in the waiting room and hold hands in Ikea and have sex in the shower. You see, what Tom was saying is the way that we are acting is betraying our definition, and it was destroying them. Tom should have said, no, we aren't just friends. We're actually acting like we're married. Look, I know this is a shock for some of you, okay? Like, hear me say that. But I'm just asking you to honor the definition. If dating is temporary, if it's friendship, you don't own one another's bodies. And we'll talk about the beauty of that in marriage and sex in the next couple weeks, okay? So that's number two. Number three is this. Lastly is this, okay? We're dating now, and I have a right to you exclusively. This is the hardest one, okay? I admit this, right? Because before stage five, right, before the officialing stage, right, before you declared you were dating, right, both of you believed that you had the freedom to show interest in another person and even to date another person, right? But now that you're dating, you've both declared that that's forbidden. 
Here, here's the difficulty of dating, okay? Technically, it's not. In honesty and integrity, okay, hear me say that. In honesty and integrity, it is not sinning for either of you to show interest or to go out with another person while dating someone. Let me be clear. It is if you are doing this deceitfully and behind the other person's back. That's manipulative. That's what we call cheating, right? Because it's deceit and it's hidden. But why? Well, there needs to be an understanding that you can ask from each other in a dating relationship is what is right to ask from any friendship, okay? Which is honesty and care. So hear me say this. If feelings change in your dating relationship, your aim should to be to have the integrity and to be honest with the other person. You're saying like, whoa, whoa, Austin, <laughs> slow down. Like you're saying if someone asks out my girlfriend, she has the freedom to go out on a date with that person, and she's not in sin if she's honest about that? Yes. <laughs> so, so they're not cheating if they go out on a date with someone else? And they're upfront and honest about that? No. Why? Because as much as it feels like it, you do not own that person who you are dating. What never gets questioned is your assumption about your rights to that person. Because this demanded exclusivity, right? It doesn't only apply to the freedom of dating others, right? That's just a, an example to drive home this point. It also applies to your girlfriend and your boyfriend's immediate family, to their church family, and to friends. You don't get to decide whose friends he or she has. You don't get to say how many times that she should be texting you or how excited they should be. You have no claim on that person. They aren't your possession. They are another image bearer of God that is a friend that you are supposed to care for and serve. And you don't know if you're going to get married or not. Not easy, right? Here's my point. The healthiest dating relationships are those that stay away from the things that are only appropriate for marriage. Ownership, demanded exclusivity, and deep physical intimacy. The, the reason dating is one of the most confusing things you do, and many times the most crushing thing that you experience is because you function according to these unspoken agreements that are often only true for the institu institution of marriage. But piled on dating, it crushes it. Because in marriage, a huge shift happens, right? You go from saying, I'm in this until my feelings change, to I'm in this no matter how I feel. And you make a binding covenant. <laughs> That's heavy, okay? <laughs> That's the difficulty of dating, right? Because dating lacks definition, it leads to all sorts of insecurity and fear, which then leads to borrow from the permanent structure of marriage, which dating was never meant to bear. That's part one, okay? Tonight's heavy. I, I don't want to leave you hopeless, though, okay? Because there is a profound freedom in dating, which we'll unpack a ton next week. But, like, the question is, like, okay, but how do we not attach so much pressure to this, right? How do we actually begin to enjoy dating? Like, enjoy its freedom? How do I begin to actually cast out my anxieties and insecurities in my temporary dating relationship? 
can we talk about Chuck Bass and Gossip Girl for a second? Okay. Like, okay, you, you have Blair Waldorf, okay, and Chuck Bass. Blair Waldorf, uh, Blair Waldorf is the popular cool Blair, right? She goes off to NYU, okay, and she's frustrated because people at NYU, they don't even care about who she is, right? Her former, or even her former, like, social standing, okay? She feels like a nobody. She's lost her standing. And she's actually in this kind of powerful scene. She's complaining about this to Chuck Bass. And she says this, like, look, Chuck, you don't understand. NYU is not the Upper East Side. They don't care that I'm Blair Waldrop. And Chuck says, how can you do this to me? And Blair says, what are you talking about? And he says, I'm Chuck Bass, and I told you that I love you. You're saying I'm easier to win over than a bunch of pseudo-intellectual homesick malcontents. You really insult me like that. And Blair says, that's not how it is. And Chuck says, that's exactly how it is. The next time that you forget that you're Blair Waldorf, remember that I'm Chuck Bass and that I love you. <laughs> now at the risk of comparing Chuck, back to Chuck Bass to Jesus, okay? Like, <laughs> like that's actually it. <laughs> like, seriously. Blair was being controlled by fear, anxiety, and insecurity. And Chuck was saying, hey, like, look at me. I love you. Don't let their rejection define you. Most of us in our dating relationships are controlled by fear, right? Fear of being alone, fear, that, fear of rejection, fear that he or she might wake up one morning and decide that they don't care anymore. And 1 John 4.18 says, actually, there really is a perfect love that casts out fear. It is a love that, that will never be found in a dating relationship. It's a love that will never be found even in a spouse. A part of the reason that you're holding so tightly to your boyfriend and girlfriend and not actually enjoying dating is because you're failing to, to believe that there is one who will never leave you or forsake you. This love doesn't depend on your looks. It doesn't depend on your performance. It doesn't depend on how delicate or temporary it may be. In freedom, you can cry out to God and say, how do I know that you won't change the way that you feel about me when I wake up in the morning? And he says, look at the cross. Because 2,000 years ago, I took all of my wrath, all of my disappointment, out on my own son. And if you receive Jesus' life and death as your own, my love and my affections are absolutely unchanging for you. You see the beauty of this? That God defines our relationship with Himself in the clarity through the death of His Son. A love that heals even when breakups feel very hard and lonely. A love that begins to free you from constantly questioning yourself or trying to control the future with your boyfriend or girlfriend. A love that begins to bring freedom and allows you to pour actually into your friendships, into your roommates, and others around you, instead of just your boyfriend and your girlfriend. It's a love that promises you a bridegroom who will be there for you in the morning, and the next day, and the next, and for all eternity. Aggie, are you let us grasp and hold on to this. Let us allow this love to begin to define our dating relationships.
That is what begins to bring freedom. And we'll talk about this freedom more next week. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, you've promised us by the cruciform love of your Son that casts out all fear. Lord, we admit tonight that we are helpless, that we are scared, that we're insecure, because there is a fear deep down within us that believes that we'll wake up in the morning and there will be someone that doesn't love us. Lord, help us to believe and, and live out again trusting in the fact that your love for us never changes. You're always with us. And you prove that to be true through the life, death, and resurrection of your son Jesus. Would that begin to transform the way that we date each other? Would that transform our dating relationships and keeping our eyes fixed on you? Would that begin to free us, to loosen it, and to trust that, that you're in control? For we love you and we thank you for your son Jesus. It's his name we pray. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Texas A&M RUF podcast. If you're interested in joining us for a large group, we would love to see you at All Faiths Chapel on the north side of campus across from Sabisa at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events we're putting on. We hope to see you around. Thanks and gig em.